So there's this lawyer who happens to be Jewish, and he approaches Jesus, and he asks Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? What must I do? And as is usually the custom with Jesus, he answers the question with another question and says, well, what do you think you should do? What does the, what does the law say? And the lawyer replies and says, well, the law of Moses says to love your God and to love your neighbor. And Jesus says, you have answered correctly. And then the lawyer replies and says, well, who is my neighbor? And in Luke chapter 10, Jesus replies with a parable or with a story. And he says this, a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and he passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits, Jesus asked the lawyer. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now you go and do the same. If there was ever a verse or a collection of scriptures that captured the qualities and the heart and the spirit of a chaplain and chaplaincy on Chaplaincy Sunday, it would be Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 30. Caring and connecting for people. But if there was ever a parable that captured the heart and the spirit of who we are as civic church, it would be Luke chapter 10 as well. Where Jesus talks about caring and connecting and serving your fellow men. Here's the first observation, church, that I think is worth noting about the Samaritan man that there was a proximity to the pain. There was a proximity to the man who was beaten and bashed and robbed and bruised. Verse 33 says that the Samaritans saw the man. In order to see the man, the Samaritan had to be near the man. You can't see someone's pain unless you have proximity to the pain. And so as a church, I wonder if I could pose the question to us today on Chaplaincy Sunday, are we willing to get close enough to people's pain? Are we willing to get close enough to people's mess? Are we willing to get close enough to people's brokenness? Or do we hold it at arm's length because it's someone else's job, it's too hard, it's too messy, I've got too much life going on? Proximity to the pain. If we take a moment to observe maybe the, the, the two other figures and the two other characters prior to the Samaritan arriving on the road in the story, we have the priest. The priest 
job was to serve and to care for people. And yet the priest, the Bible tells us, he sees a man in pain. He sees a man who is broken. He sees a man who is messed. And and, and what happens? He goes to the other side of the road. You know what that represents for you and I in 2022? It represents in life when we see a problem and we see pain in people, but because we didn't cause the problem, it's not my problem. I didn't, I, I, I didn't rob the man. I didn't break the man. I didn't bash the man. So it, it, it's not my problem, God. I didn't cause it. Then we have the Levite, or as my translation reads, the temple assistant. And again, he sees the man, he has proximity to the pain, but he goes to the other side. You know what that represents? As a Levite, as a temple assistant, he was there to assist the priest. And so it represents for you and I, well, I'm not qualified to help. I mean, I haven't been to Bible college. I don't know how to care. I I haven't done any training. I don't know how. You know what your training is? That you've been saved by grace. That's your qualification to help and care for people. Proximity to the man. We have a priest and we have a Levite, two men with titles. Typically a title indicates what you do and usually your title is attached to a task, what you do in life. And so I'm a chef, I cook, I'm a carpenter, I build, I'm a lawyer. I interpret the law, I'm a police officer, I uphold the law, I'm a politician, I I tell the truth. (laughs) A title is attached to the task and so we have a priest and a Levite and their title, their whole job is about serving and caring for people yet their response is, it's not my problem and I'm not qualified. Church, if we're not careful our response to our community that is hurting, rather than serving it and caring for it and loving it, we will judge it and we will condemn it. And say, well, they probably deserve to be in the position they are. What were they doing on the road to start with? That's karma, right? That, that, you know, that, that's how it works. You reap what you sow and so... That, that road was known for bandits and, and so that's, why were they on the road? Rather than caring and serving, we, we judge and we condemn and we move to the other side of the road. Or worse, we, we think, can't someone else do it? Isn't it someone else's job? Isn't it, isn't it Jason's job in the school and Jason's job in that school? Isn't it their job to care and serve for people? It's not my job. If we're going to have the title of Christian, which means Christ follower, then can we do the task of a Christ follower, which is to care and serve and love people? Your title is attached to your task. God has put you and God has put me in this place, the place of proximity to the pain of people to point people to Jesus. I want our best sermons not to be preached on a Sunday. I want our best sermons to be lived out Monday through to Saturday. If our preaching is better than our living as Christians, we are in serious trouble as a church. 
The best sermons that you will ever hear are the stories where God came through for people and God used people in situations of brokenness and mess. Not listening to a preacher on a Sunday morning, friend. They're the best sermons when we actually live out our faith. It's worth noting in this story that it was a Samaritan who helped. And in my translation, it says that it was a despised Samaritan. Quick history lesson on the, on the nation of Israel. At that time, it was divided into two kingdoms. The north, which was Israel, and the south, which was Judah. Assyrians had invaded the north, and they began to mix with Israeli families. And so the, 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 the purest Israelis looked down on the Samaritans because they were a mixed race. Half-breeds and half-castes is what they were called. They had a mixed culture, and they worshipped mixed gods. And therefore, they were considered less and lower than the true Israelis. See, racism isn't just a problem in 2022. Racism was a problem all the way back then. And yet it was the Samaritan, the despised Samaritan that had proximity to the pain that cared and served and loved the man. See, Jesus made a way, but religion through the priest and the Levite keeps people away. Religion will pass you by, but the heart of Jesus Christ will not. When you have proximity to someone's pain, your perspective changes. It's amazing how quick Christians and the church are so quick to judge people based off a headline or an Instagram pic or a Facebook update. We are so quick to judge people when we have no proximity to the pain. It's not until you get close to a person and you hear their story and you understand their background and you understand why they are that they are as a middle-aged man or a middle-aged woman because maybe they've had a traumatized childhood and that's the way they are. But you'll never know that if you don't have proximity to the pain church. If we just stand back and hold them at arm's distance and we're happy to judge and we're happy to condemn and we're happy to throw stones, hear me, that's not the heart of Jesus Christ. The heart of Jesus was to go to where the pain was. Proximity to the pain. Once we have that, once we have that, we've eliminated the distance between who we are and where the pain is, then we can start really begin caring for the people around us and our community. Is this okay, church? Caring starts with compassion. Here's the question. What do you see? Verse 33 says that when the Samaritan saw the man that was bashed, he had Compassion. I am absolutely convinced, church, that as a human race, we are quickly losing touch to empathize with our fellow men. We live in a time where we can hear horrific stories in our very own community, but even internationally and nationally, we hear horrific stories on the 6.30 news. And then we can simply just move on, like what's for dinner? And we, and we, we hear the story, but we're so desensitized to it, we've lost our ability to empathize with someone's pain, with someone's trauma, with someone's heartache. We can just simply move on. If you don't feel anything when you, when you hear and when you see the suffering of another human being, I, I'm not here to make you feel bad, but I'm going to call you out. You need to get to, to God and say, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. 
Because I can tell you what the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 9. When Jesus saw the crowds, the Bible says he had compassion. Which means when he saw the pain and the suffering, something moved with inside of him deep in his heart. And it's got to be the same for us, church. When we see the pain and the suffering, what happens on the inside? Or are we so consumed with what's going on in our world Nothing moves us. Just because we can't do everything, I think sometimes we, that gives us an excuse to do nothing. Well, the, it, it's just too big, God. The sheer volume of the human suffering of this world, even in our own city, it's just, it's just the problem's just too big. And so it's just easier. It's just easier if someone else does it. It's just easier if we have a chaplaincy Sunday and, and let the guys in the schools or the speedway, let, just let them do it. Now, that's not God's heart for the church. Never has been, never will be. Compassion always starts with a feeling. But then it evolves in a, de- in a desire to alleviate the suffering. You know, love always starts as a feeling. But then it grows into action. I remember when I first started having feelings for my now wife. And it started out as a feeling. I used to get sweaty palms and used to stutter my words a little bit. And it was all a feeling that, you know, that, that, that warm, fuzzy feeling of love. But then love evolves into an action. And that action was where I got down on one knee and proposed. And then that evolved again, where then we obviously started a life together. And now it's, it's, it's about choosing every day to love one another. But it started as a feeling, but then it evolved into action. And compassion is very much the same way. When we see the people, we're like, ah, that, I hate seeing that, that suffering, that abuse, that trauma. What they're going through is not right. And for most of us, that's where it stops. Oh, I just feel real sorry for you, man. I just hate that for you. I just wish you could have a better life. But that's not what the Samaritan did. Yes, he had compassion, but then he sought out a solution. He took action. The Samaritan sought out a solution, and the solution was not, I'll pray for you, (laughs) which is often our default response. And I'm not discounting the power of prayer, but James chapter 2 says, if your brother's starving and if your brother has no clothes on him, what good is prayer? Give the man some bread and give the man some clothes. Be practical about your solutions. I think some of the prayers that you and I pray, Jesus is already saying, you're the answer to that prayer. God, send a miracle to my workplace. God, send a miracle to my school. And Jesus replies, you are the miracle. I've sent you as light in the darkness to be the miracle, to stand in the gap, to represent me, to be the Samaritan. Compassion is not just a feeling, it's a solution, and that solution will cost you. Caring will cost you something. For the Samaritan, it cost him his oil, his wine, his transport, or his ass. I couldn't, I just couldn't go past that. (laughs) Two days wages, two denarii or two, two silver coins, but it also cost him his plans and his convenience. 
You know what? Your compassion could cost you simply a conversation where you actively listen and they have your full attention. For some of us, it could cost us maybe $4.50 to shout someone a flat white and just hear them out. Maybe $5 if they like skim milk or almond milk. Sometimes the cost is small, but sometimes the cost is great. But caring for someone will cost you something. And I think one of the major obstacles for us going that extra step to seek out a solution is we, we, we weigh up the interruption that this is going to cause my life. And so we see the problem and like, I want to do something, but God, I've got stuff. Is there nothing more important than caring and serving for your fellow man? Caring will cost you something. I'll finish with this. I think Jesus didn't tell this parable to the, to the Jewish lawyer and, and indeed to us as the audience so that we can simply just be inspired and, and go and do better and, and have aspirational dreams of, okay, I've got to do better in my life. I've got to be this. I don't think that was the intention of Jesus telling the parable. I think Jesus tells the stories, this particular story, to drive you to the end of yourself because the Jewish lawyer got to a place where he said to Jesus, I can't do that. I, I, I can't be the friend of the enemy. I can't do that. That's not within me, Jesus. He had reached the end of himself. Jesus looks at the lawyer and the lawyer looks at Jesus and He's like, who's my neighbor? And Jesus says, your enemy is your neighbor. Lawyer's like, that's impossible. What you're asking me to do, Jesus, is impossible. And Jesus replies, I know you can't, but I can. Jesus is wanting us to get to the point that none of us are the good neighbor. So often when we read scriptures, we often make ourselves the focus, but Jesus is the focus. See, in this parable, Jesus is the good Samaritan. Every time we do a baby dedication on this platform, we always give uh, the, the, the families and the child, even though the child can't read, but we give the families the Jesus storybook, and I absolutely love it. Yes, it's a six-year-old book, but I love reading it because it, always, it, 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 it paints the pictures of all the biblical stories and how it always points to Jesus and not the person reading it. It's all about Jesus. And so Jesus is the good Samaritan. None of us are the good neighbor. But we're the traveler on the road. That's who we are in the story. And Jesus, as the good Samaritan, picks us up rescues us, bandages us up, gives us a hope, gives us a future, gives us a plan. But Jesus is the good Samaritan. And you might say, well, what was the point of the last 20, 25 minutes? Who are we now in the story once we've been bandaged up and patched up? Who is Civic on Chaplaincy Sunday? Let me tell you who Civic is. Civic is the innkeeper in the story. That's our role as a church. That's our role as Christians. That we're to be a safe place for broken people to come into as Jesus leads them in. We're to be a safe haven. We're to be a safe place that will serve them until Jesus comes back, like the Good Samaritan said he would. We're the innkeeper. 
We're to provide an environment where people can come into this place bandaged, bashed and bruised and we can say, we got you, we're keeping you, it's all good, this is a safe place. But Jesus is the good Samaritan. Chaplaincy Sunday. We have so many individuals in our church that are on the front line. And I think sometimes they do the bulk of the work, but I wonder just, I just wonder, church, whether we could capture the heart and the spirit of a chaplain for whatever we do in our spheres. I can't go to your workplace on a Monday. I can't be in that situation. I can't be in that work meeting on a Wednesday afternoon, but you're there as light in the darkness to care and serve your fellow man. It was about two years ago where, as a church, we decided, you know what, we want to be proactive in the space of chaplaincy and led by Pastor Jess, who desperately wanted to be here today but sends her apologies. But she has done a brilliant job in coordinating training and structure and leadership to equip and send chaplains out into street chaplaincy, sporting spheres, And we want to continue that work as a church. But hear me, you don't need to have the title as a chaplain to be able to care and serve for someone. If you're a believer of Jesus, you're qualified. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, I'm sending you out. You're good to go. Because if you have that heart, that's your qualification. If you know that you've been rescued by the Good Samaritan, you're good to go. Chaplaincy Sunday is all about not just acknowledging and celebrating and recognizing the amazing work of our chaplains, and we should. But it's also putting the spotlight on where, where, where are you at with your heart? What are you doing in your sphere of influence? The people that you have contact with every single day, how can we serve them? How can we care for them? How can we love them unconditionally? Like we read in Luke chapter 10. I want to pray for you and then I'm going to hand over to our senior pastor. Heavenly Father, God, you have called the church for such a time as this. God, that we would not retreat and play safe Sundays, God, but we would be on the front line. God, that we would have proximity to the pain and the needs and the brokenness and the mess of our community. We would not shy away from it, God. But when we see the suffering, we would not only have sympathy and empathy, God, but we would have compassion, compassion that moves, compassion that has action, compassion that has solution, that has a desire to alleviate the suffering of our fellow man. God, that when opportunities come, even as early as this week, that we would have the heart of the Samaritan, that we would be prepared to pay the price, whatever it costs to serve someone, to be there for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you, church. Have a great week. Thanks, Pastor Jared.
Give it up for Ange. She's amazing. You'd be surprised. She's truly amazing. She's married to Jared. <laughs> he's still laughing and he's still looking at me. He'll love me. Um, thanks, Pastor Jared. Uh, brilliant, as always. Very insightful. So much to take away from it. Caring starts with compassion. Compassion's going to cost you something. Amazing, right? And uh, I really do want to just take a moment to pray for our chaplains. As Jared's already mentioned, um, we have quite a few chaplains within our civic community. Um, look, I've had different ones count up the number of chaplains we've got. We really can't come to a final answer, but I think there's something like 11. And um, uh, so, so within our civic church community, within the schools that you've been hearing about, but also out at the uh, raceway and then in civic assist, uh, working on Thursday nights, Friday nights and Saturday nights uh, in our city centre uh, with young people and all manner of um, folk. And, uh, and so I'm so very proud um, of each and every one of those people that are, are out there at, you know, two o'clock in the morning, some of them, um, and later. And they're just being available, as Jared's been absolutely, you know, explaining to us. It's about saying, no, look, our proximity to the pain is uh, we need to be there. We're going to be there. And we, whether it's at, you know, midnight or two o'clock in the morning or whenever it might be, uh, in a school, um, wherever it might be, that we're going to be there uh, to our best of our ability. And I would so encourage um, anyone sitting here this morning that's been listening to Pastor Jared and also just understanding how this church is actively wanting to promote the whole understanding that comes with chaplaincy and if you're saying oh, I think I should um, probably take take notice of this because I sense there's something really in my own heart that I, I think maybe I need to make myself more available and I'd like to make some inquiries about how I could get involved with chaplaincy through civic um, I'm sure there'll be somebody standing out at the in the foyer there you'll be able to talk to at the um, um, information desk there um, or you might just talk to different people in your connects or whoever you might talk to just to say, hey, I, I do want to talk to somebody about chaplaincy. I'd really encourage you to do that. Uh, and so come on, let's just take a minute. Um, and, I'd, I'd be just, and I should also mention this. Um, within our church, we also have numbers of families that are connected with Scripture Union and uh, doing an incredible job. Of course, Scripture Union does a whole lot more than just chaplaincy. But they're very well known for their chaplaincy roles. And, and I want to give a huge shout out to all those families in, who are connected to Civic and are part of uh, Scripture Union, doing an amazing job. I pray for their families as well. Um, but come on, let's just do that right now. Father, we're so mindful, Lord, of our chaplains this morning. We put every other thought aside and we think about the men and the women that are serving in these vital positions of chaplaincy. Father, we do pray that each and every one of them has an absolute assurance and confidence in the calling, in the calling on their lives to chaplaincy. 
as they minister and serve and care and connect people. And Lord, that they would also understand that they aren't able to do it in their own strength, but that they are being strengthened by you constantly. And that within them, they know there's a deep inner sensing of the Holy Spirit, his presence, guiding them and leading them, giving them discernment and understanding and helping them, Father, to just know what the, the right words to say at the right time. Father, I particularly also want to take a moment to pray for the families of all of our chaplains. So many times, Lord, our chaplains are out there on the front line. But they have to go to a home. They go home somewhere. There are other people in their lives. And so many times those others in their lives are carrying those burdens as well. So, Father, we pray that your presence and your peace would be in their homes and with their families in Jesus' name. And every heart said, Amen and Amen. Now, just before we conclude our service, um, on behalf of Civic Church, I want to extend to, and I want to join with our nation and extend to the royal family our sincere condolences of course at the passing of Queen Elizabeth II I think it's uh, amazing um, that when we think about her life and the way she's lived her life that she's able to be such a an example for all of us the reality is she was a, an absolutely remarkable an extraordinary human being and leader. Would you agree? Absolutely remarkable and an extraordinary human being. I think she was a, an incredible uh, leader in her over her 70 years. Um, she really was exemplary, in my opinion, in the way that she performed her duties over such a long time. And the way that she served and gave of herself to her people. Um, above all, though, I think the thing that we remember her for, particularly here at Civic, is her steadfast faith in our God. It's appropriate that I read just this quick message. The Queen was uh, having a conversation with a chaplain. And uh, during that conversation, she said, it says, The Queen exclaimed, How I wish that the Lord would come in my lifetime. Why? asked the chaplain. The Queen replied with quivering lips and her whole countenance lighted up by deep emotion. I should, I should so love to lay my crown at his feet. By the way, that was a chaplain. Even our queen, our late queen, had a chaplain. But in that conversation, how incredible that she would say her whole 
heart would be to be able to see him and to lay her crown at his feet. Well, I believe that's what she's done right now. Here's another uh, quote. I know that the only way to live my life is to do what is right, to take the long view, to give of my best, and in all the day brings, and to put my trust in God. And finally, throughout my life, the message and teachings of Christ have been my guide, and in them I find hope. And so, of course, we celebrate her life. But it's also that steadfast faith. She was indeed a defender of the Christian faith. And, uh, and so we together here at Civic take a moment just to reflect on, on her life. Father, we do reflect on, a, on an amazing human being, a person who led with integrity, who was the constant over so many years of turmoil and uncertainty, right to the end. An incredible woman, an amazing mother, grandmother, and a, someone that had given her tel, herself entirely to her office. We celebrate her life, Father. We take great encouragement from the way that she always declared and testified of her faith. And so, Father, also we now, as we celebrate her life, Queen Elizabeth II's life, and we remember it with great fondness, we also take this moment to pray for King Charles III. Father, we pray that you would give him the wisdom, the wisdom, Lord, and the strength to be able to perform and to continue on ruling and reigning. And Father, we would pray for him that he too would be someone that would be a defender of the Christian faith. In Jesus' wonderful name, every heart said, Amen and Amen. Thanks for coming to church. It's been a great morning this morning. If you have any considerations around chaplaincy, please make sure you ask somebody. And, um, and as we go, our team's going to lead us in one last song.